Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about learning how to live life with Jesus. This is episode two, The Deeper Conversion. A couple of years back, I was having a lunch meeting with a friend of mine. They said there was a little place near their office that they loved. Well, I like trying new food, so I was all in. We walked into this little restaurant. Basically, it was just a service counter with a few tables crammed together and a tiny space. Definitely not very special looking. It's this place here in Portland. It's called Nong's Khao Mangai. Now, I looked at the menu board, and there were really just three things on the menu. Actually, they were just really three variations on one thing. Chicken and rice. That's what Khao Mangai means in Thai. It's not telling the whole story, though, because this isn't just chicken and rice. This is authentic Thai street food. Now, standing there at the counter watching plates of this stuff going out, I was a little intimidated. I am a lifelong, mostly vegetarian. I grew up in a vegetarian household. Big pieces of flesh are hard for me to eat. It's just something I've never really become accustomed to. And what was being served, what was coming out on these plates was just, well, a big pile of meat. It was a bed of white rice. There was a hefty serving of chicken breast. The chicken breast on top, it was, it was all white. There was no, no pleasing cook marks on it. It was white like it had been boiled. It came with a couple slices of cucumber, a little bit of cilantro, a, a small bowl of chicken broth, and a small dish of a thick brown sauce. And that was it. That was Khao Mangai. That was the thing this restaurant was known for. And there wasn't really much else on the menu. That one dish started a food cart that led to two other restaurants, and it's famous all over the place. I mean, this restaurant has a a James Beard nomination. So uh, I swallowed deep and I ordered. And well, my life has never been the same since. This is my favorite place to eat. I keep a bottle of the sauce in my refrigerator. When I have errands to run in this part of town, and it's not conveniently located to where I live, I structure my errands on purpose so that I'm near the restaurant at a semi-justifiable mealtime. I will take other people to this restaurant, and I honestly don't even care if they like it or not, which is not normal for me. I'm always concerned about taking people to restaurants where they're going to find something they really love. But at at Nong's Khao Mangai, it is just another opportunity for me to eat the thing that I love most. Not only do I love this dish, it has made me question Uh, whether other things that I've eaten for years are even any good at all. I'm not exaggerating. The flavor in this dish is explosive. I I mean, it makes me wonder, what on earth is going on when when we cook bland food? Why? Why make it this way? Why bother with food that's not interesting? It's like eating this dish opened up my perception and completely changed the way that I experience food. That, what I just described, that's a conversion experience. I had an experience that altered my perception about food. It changed what I believe is possible, at least in regard to chicken and rice. And that changed perception and a new belief implanted a deep desire that has changed my behavior. That's conversion. Yeah, on a tiny scale for sure, but that's what conversion is at its heart. We have an experience that changes our perception That shift changes our beliefs, and that changed belief plants a desire in us that leads to different actions. Everything after the experience 
that changed our perception, everything after is fruit. It's the result. It's the changed perception playing out in our life. So in the case of this restaurant, Nong's Kaomangai, the fruit of my conversion to Nong's is that I desire to go there as often as I can. I will literally change my schedule. I will list uh, errands in a different order. I will make up errands to get me to get to this part of town. And when I can't do this, when I can't go there, I keep a bottle of the sauce in my refrigerator so that I can make this dish at home. So all of those changes, those practical behavior changes, they are the fruit of the experience I had. Fruit matters an awful lot. Fruit is the indication of the nature of a tree. Apples on apple trees, healthy fruit on healthy trees. That's a biblical principle, right? A, a healthy tree bears healthy fruit. Fruit is also the result of any process of sowing and reaping. So, for example, if you've been careful with your money and put something in savings every month, that savings account is the fruit of your careful practices. If you've been treating people generously over time and you've come to have a reputation in your community for being kind and generous, that reputation that you have is the fruit of the relational choices that you've been making. Fruit matters a lot. Hold that thought. In the Sermon on the Mount, this lengthy collection of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about this principle of fruit in relationship to the spiritual life. He starts talking about false prophets. Think about that as spiritual leaders or gurus or pastors. Anyone who claims to know something about God's will and the life of the Spirit and wants to share that with you. And Jesus is talking about how to judge whether those people are worth listening to. Now, by the end of the passage, Jesus has expanded this principle about false prophets to talk really about all of us. I want you to listen to his words. I'm going to read this to you. This is from Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, so far in that passage, it's clear that Jesus is talking about these spiritual leaders, these prophets and influencers we choose to listen to. He's saying, don't measure them by their teaching. That's interesting. Measure them by their fruit. If the fruit is good, the teaching may be worth listening to. That's not where Jesus stops. Things get serious here. This is continuing on in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This passage is saying, that there are going to be people who wear the label Christ follower or Christian or spiritual leader or guru or teacher, and some of them will do really cool stuff, prophecy, exorcism, miracles, big, amazing things. And you wouldn't be faulted if you thought those big acts of spiritual power were the fruit. That makes sense, right? If someone can draw a big following, if they have deep spiritual insight, if they can do miraculous things, that must prove they're connected to God, right? But Jesus says no. Jesus says those things aren't the fruit at all. Those things that we so want to pay attention to, the fruit is something else, 
something that leads to a life where Jesus says, yep, I know you. We have a connection. We have a relationship. I know you. Now, I'm from a a Christian heritage, and maybe you are too, that treats conversion very simply. It comes down to this. You learn that you're a sinner in need of salvation. You ask Jesus to forgive you, to become the Lord of your life, and now you're a Christian. Your tradition may have a different way of framing it, but that's the basic seed of how we talked about conversion growing up. Now, some churches follow that up with a list of things you need to do to keep your account current with God. You know, come to church, read the Bible daily, tithe, whatever's on your list. Other churches emphasize that, you know, since you're now a Christian, you need to behave. Your morality is what shows how much you love God. It's your witness. It shows that your uh, conversion was real. You know, it really worked. You weren't just, you know, putting it on for all of us. And so if you grew up in that kind of community like I did, like many of us did, it's easy to think that the fruit of conversion is that you're a good person or that you study the Bible or that you're a good faithful church member. Doesn't it seem like when you're honest in your heart, there's got to be something deeper than that. Like that this spiritual life, wherever it is that we're heading, is about something more profound than just that. Can it really be that conversion is just saying a prayer? I mean, is it really true that conversion is just changing your theology, what what you intellectually believe about God and about Jesus and about the universe? Doesn't it seem like if we're really being changed, which is what conversion means, right? being transformed, if we're really being changed, that that whole change has to be vastly deeper, that we would have an experience of of something, an experience of Jesus that changes our perception, an experience that changes our beliefs and plants a desire in us that leads to different actions. Doesn't it seem like that is so much deeper than maybe what we've heard or what we've thought? All across Scripture, We can see examples of this kind of change, this deep change, and see that it is so much deeper than some of the things we've thought. Three examples. Here's one. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about our normal human concerns for shelter and food and the anxiety that we carry around getting these things. You know, we want to eat. We need to eat. We want a safe place to live. We want that for our family. And it's not bad to want those things. It's not a sin to want a place to stay or to want food to eat. It's not a sin to want to provide for your family. It's not a sin to be worried about these things. But Jesus tells us that this life change, this conversion, is so deep that it changes the way we relate to even these basic needs. So this is Matthew 6, 33, Jesus' words. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. It's talking about all those daily needs. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Something about this conversion, this life change, is like moving from one kingdom to another. Seek first the kingdom of God. Well, think about that word kingdom. Kingdoms are about kings. The king is the one who's in charge. The king is the one who gets to have their say. This life change, it moves us from a kingdom where we are the king, where our greatest concern is what we want and and how we want it and what we need and how we're going to get it. We move from that kingdom 
to a new kingdom where someone else is king, where God is king. And our first and primary concern is what God wants. And Jesus says something crazy is going to happen. When we make that switch, when we move from, from that kingdom where we're in charge to that kingdom where God's in charge, and we begin to intentionally look for what God wants and pursue what God wants, it affects how much we worry about what we need. That is a deep conversion. That's a transformation to move away from needing to get my own way to wanting God's way, to move away from anxiety about my needs toward trusting God's provision, to actually be less fearful about my basic needs, that is a deep conversion. Second example, in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about those same two kingdoms that Jesus mentioned, but Paul uses different language. He talks about life in the flesh and life in the spirit. It's the same two realities. Life in the flesh is life where our desires and our needs govern. We're driven by what we think we need. We're driven by our own agenda, by our own story, by our ego needs. That's what motivates us. Life in the spirit is a conversion. It is a transformation away from that. It's a life where where we want what the Spirit wants. That's our desire. It's a life where we want the Spirit, where we pay attention to the Spirit, where we let the Spirit guide us. That is a deep conversion. And, Paul says, when this transformation happens in us, it bears amazing fruit. This is from Galatians 5, 20 to 25. You might have heard this before. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Now think about those qualities. Don't you want those qualities in your life? Paul's describing what life looks like when we're being changed, when we're being converted, when we're being transformed. People who used to be bitter people become joyful. Doesn't that sound incredible? People who used to be impatient becoming patient. I need that. People who used to be harsh becoming kind. This is not a, a religious to-do list. This is not some ethical requirement that you're supposed to try real hard to live up to. This is a description of what this deep conversion does to us. Third example, Jesus' words in the upper room. So Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room in the last few days of his life here on earth. He's talking with them about what their life is going to be like on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection. His chief instruction for them was to remain, to abide. That word, to abide, to remain, it has weight. It has this sense of home. Right? A, a place of rest, a center. Here, here's Jesus' actual words, John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me, the one who abides in me, the one who finds his home in me, and I in him, produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. See, people who experience this deep conversion, this transformation, they are rooted. They have a deep center. That means they're not driven. They're not urged forward by some inner wound. They're not running everywhere trying to find their value or their importance or their belonging. They, do, they don't feel this constant need to prove themselves right or strong. They are settled. 
Can you feel that settled? Do you need that in your life? That takes a deep conversion. These three examples from Scripture, they portray a life that is rooted, that is centered, that's growing in these incredible qualities of goodness, love, patience, joy, a life that honestly and practically seeks God's will in daily things. This isn't a person that's trying real hard to be religious. This is a person who's living vibrantly, who's experiencing God in the moment, and as a result has this rootedness to them. This is the life Jesus has invited us into. The trouble is that most of what we've learned in church doesn't help us experience that. And I think that's because most of what we've done in our religious lives has very little to do with really knowing and experiencing God. We've learned about God. We've learned how to practice Christian behaviors. We've been trained to be fruit machines, right? To manufacture fruit, to be more moral, to have the right cultural viewpoint, to know the right Bible verses and theological explanations, to make good Christian things happen in the world. We've been trained to manufacture fruit, but fruit isn't manufactured. Real fruit is the natural, organic evidence of an interior reality. That's why, back in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that there are going to be people, as hard as this is to believe, there are going to be people who have done really great religious things, big, obvious, impressive things, even miraculous things, things that look like fruit. And yet Jesus' response was that those things just weren't that impressive to him. The thing he was looking for was connection and intimacy. Do I know you? Very little of my religious upbringing was about that. Maybe you feel the same way. And yet Jesus' words make it clear, it is the thing God is most concerned about. This message is the first in a series about this deeper conversion. I'm not talking about that time you said the prayer and now you're a Christian. That's not what I mean by conversion. I mean this transforming life. I mean what it looks like to live in an ongoing, growing connection with God. Now, this is not to say that any experience you've had before now is wrong or flawed. I believe God has been at work in your story and in my story, and you are where you are with God already because God is a part of your journey and is drawing you. But there comes a time in our hearts, when we long for for more. Maybe you're in that place. I'm in that place. Longing for something deeper, something that is more than a religious routine or a system of beliefs. I believe God, Holy Spirit, is the cause of that longing. I think God is drawing us, C.S. Lewis put it, further up and further in. If that's intriguing to you, then stick around. Because next time, we're going deeper, deeper to, to a time when Jesus said something that changed all of religion forever. Today, may you sense a growing desire for a deeper connection to God than you've ever experienced before. Thanks for listening. 
If you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, there are two easy ways to do that. First, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and in every other podcast app out there. Second, you can subscribe to my email list. It goes out about twice a month uh, with new blog posts and links to other things from me that are very much like this. If you'd like to talk about this episode with me or with other people on the same journey, if you'd like to find encouragement for this kind of spiritual life, consider joining the Apprenticeship Lab member community. It's just $8 a month, and there you'll find a positive private community of people on this journey. I'm there. We can talk about this message and other spiritual growth conversations. Plus, you'll get an encouraging daily video, a monthly live spiritual life Q&A, access to some online courses for spiritual growth, and some other great things designed to help you learn to live life with Jesus. And if you just want to support what I'm doing, which allows me to make more materials like this, joining the Apprenticeship Lab member community is a great way to do that. I'd also be grateful if you take a moment to rate or review this podcast on iTunes, since that is one of the best ways to help other people discover it. If you're interested in any of that, you'll find the show notes for today's episode, including all the scriptures and the links that I just mentioned at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW002. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, you are not alone.